0: Get 50% off your first box of fresh, healthy food at the farmersdog.com slash happier. That's 50% off your first box at the farmersdog.com slash happier.
1: Hello and welcome to Happier. This is week two in our special four-week series on the four tendencies. This week we'll talk about the questioner tendency and have a special guest questioner. I'm Gretchen Rubin, a writer who studies happiness, good habits, and human nature. I'm in New York City, and with me is my sister, Elizabeth Kraft, who has patiently spent hours discussing the four tendencies with me.
0: That's me, Elizabeth Kraft, a TV writer and producer living in LA, and I'm gonna use my intro to tell people to buy your latest book about making and keeping good habits called Better Than Before. (laughs)
1: let's have a quick update um we talked about the boot camp um a couple episodes ago and one of the i thought was most charming examples of boot camp was the person who was doing boot camp christmas who was having all her family in and so she was like spending a weekend in november getting everything ready for christmas genius
0: i love that i also love the person who was having car riding boot camp with her dog because her dog doesn't like to ride in the car And so she's, like, driving the dog around every day for two (laughs) weeks to get the dog acclimated. Uh, I thought that was what I never would have thought of.
1: Yeah, and she said, like, calling it a boot camp somehow makes it seem better.
0: More palatable. Yes, yes.
1: And then um, on the eggs, so many people, Elizabeth, you said about hard-boiled eggs. eggs, And I have to say, somebody said, oh, you should get, like, this Krupp's hard-boiled egg maker. And I got one. And now my daughters are eating hard-boiled eggs for breakfast every day. It's like... Amazing. Okay, I need to get one too. Oh my gosh. Yes.
0: One other uh, great piece of advice we got from someone was we were talking about how to unpack after a move, how to finish those final nagging tasks, and their advice was don't connect your cable or internet until you're fully unpacked, which I could never do that, but it's a great idea.
1: Yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant solution.
0: So thank you everybody for chiming in with those. We love we love getting your your um Your input.
1: Now, to do a quick quick recap of the four tendencies before we launch into the Try This at Home, it's upholder, questioner, obliger, and rebel. And it has to do with how you deal with an expectation, an outer expectation like a work deadline, an inner expectation like a New Year's resolution. So upholders readily meet outer and inner expectations alike. That's what we talked about in episode 35 today we're going to be talking about questioners. Questioners uh, question all expectations. They'll do something if they think it makes sense. They hate anything inefficient or arbitrary or unfair. Um, Obligers readily meet outer. They struggle to meet inner. We're going to talk about that in an upcoming episode. And also rebel. Rebels resist outer expectations and inner expectations alike. And if you want to hear more about that, you can go to happiercast.com slash 35, where we talk about the upholder tendency, um, or episode 13, where we talk about sort of the overview. And if you want to take a quiz for yourself, if you go to happiercast.com slash quiz, you can take a quiz. But so the Try This at Home this week is think about three or four people in your life and try thinking about how you might communicate with them more effectively when you're knowing their tendency
0: yeah i think this can really change dynamics and relationships you know It's not just a fun experiment. I think it could actually improve your marriage or improve your relationship with your boss or improve your relationship with your best friend.
1: Yeah, I mean, Jamie's a questioner. My husband is a questioner, which has great things because upholders, it's helpful to be around questioners. But sometimes it drives me crazy when he questions Mm -hmm. things. And now I'm much more just like, oh, well, it's not that he's, he's not like disrespecting me by questioning something that I've asked him to do. It's just, he always wants to know, like, why should I do that? And so I don't get as annoyed.
0: And, you know, it's funny, Gretch, dad is a questioner. And I think growing up with a questioner is actually a good thing because he responded to rational arguments. So if you wanted to explain, you know, why curfew should be extended that night until 2 a.m. after a <laughs> dance, if you had a good argument that he could understand, he'd be very reasonable about it.
1: Yeah. No, it was. It was very... He responded very well to that. And also he gave reasons for what he was doing, you know, so you didn't feel like things were arbitrary. It felt like everything was... There was a reason for everything that had been thought through. And yeah, and you could challenge it if you wanted to. But, you know, it's interesting, though. You're saying, like, it can it can, it can, can lower conflict and help people get along. And I definitely see this sometimes when people don't understand how people see the world differently from the way they do. Like I have a friend right now who, uh, whose father really needs to do like a lot of, make a lot of health changes, eating, exercising, taking medication more conscientiously, like tons of stuff. And my friend keeps sending his father like studies, and yeah. research and is like, let's make a chart. And, you know, and I keep saying to him, you're a questioner. You're making a questioner argument, which is I'm going to show you the rationale. I'm going to show you why you should be doing this. But his father's not a questioner. And so it's not helping. He just, like, he's like, I don't want to read these studies. And he doesn't read them. You know? And so it's like the, they're not communicating effectively because he's just trying to give him questioner satisfaction. But the, but the father is not a questioner.
0: Yeah, the father, maybe he's an obliger and he needs to have, you know, a doctor visit once a week that he has to go to.
1: Right, exactly. And I couldn't really tell from my friend what he was or else I would have, like, launched into my habits (laughs) habits cheerleader mode with a long list of things to try. Um, It is
0: funny. I think questioners do send a lot of
1: articles. Oh, interesting. I never thought about that. Uh, and most people are like, "I don't want to read this article, right. right? But they love the information. Well, it's interesting because I eat very low carb and 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 that comes very easily to me because as an upholder, it's just like, this is this is yes, this is no. Like I just follow the rules, and I find kind of a satisfaction in that. and But when Dad was being coming convinced to sort of adopt the same eating patterns, he was like, read all the research, read tons of books, like constantly is reading the latest like news reports and and studies that are coming out because he's so satisfied by getting all that information. And the more justification he has, the better he likes it.
0: So if you want to get to dad, come at him with information. If you want to get to mom, maybe a different strategy. That's
1: right. That's right. It's different. Different tendencies respond to different language. So again, for this week, to try this at home is, you know, think about some people who are important in your life, three or four people, and see if you can identify what tendency they are. For most people, it's pretty obvious um, what tendency they are. And think, well, how could I communicate with this person in a different way? Am I sort of shouting out something that I would respond to, but they're not hearing me because they're a different tendency? Um, And see if trying to make different kinds of arguments that will appeal to the different tendencies might help you communicate more effectively, or at least understand your relationship with them better so that you feel less frustration with them, perhaps, yeah, yeah. For, their, for the way they are. Um, and let us know if, if like, what you learned, what you tried um, about the people in your life, Twitter, Facebook, drop us an email at podcast at GretchenRubin.com, or if you go to happiercast.com slash 36, Um, you can comment and read all the show notes and everything for this episode. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and free. And, you know, Elizabeth, I now work with a team So today, to talk about questioners, we have a special guest, brilliant agent Christy Fletcher. Christy is here in New York City. She is uh, has been my agent from the very, very beginning. We started off together. Um, Elizabeth, of course, in true Hollywood fashion, has multiple layers of representation, but she also is represented for Chris by Christy.
0: In yes, some ways, yes, I'm lucky. Yes, we're she's both my book agent. Yes, yes, my theoretical book
1: agent, <laughs> the once-in-future book agent, um, and um, and Christy is a questioner, and um, and she's very well aware of this framework because of um, having to have read my book like a hundred times, um, and so we wanted her to be here to weigh in as we're talking about this, so that we have a questioner perspective. So, Christy. Hello and thank you so much for being here.
2: Absolutely, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here.
1: Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, I'm going to just quick overview of the strengths and weaknesses and you then I want you to chime in about whether this rings true for you. Okay. And as you recall, your husband's a questioner too, right? He is. Yes. Uh, okay. He's a journalist, so okay. yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, is. yeah. So, so you got questioners up a mundo. So the strengths of questioners is they question all expectations and they only do something if it makes sense. So they love efficiency. They tend to love research. They love data. I know that's something about you. You like you're just I love data. You love data. (laughs) They're very good at questioning authority because their first question is like, well, why am I listening to you anyway? Um, and they're very interdirected because they 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 only fall on expectation if they turn it into an expectation of their own.
0: Uh, on the other hand, there are some weaknesses to being a questioner. It can be sort of maddening for the people around you because you're constantly asking questions. It can be draining to just always be looking at research and trying to f- figure out the best thing. Right, Gretchen?
1: Yes, Absolutely.
0: And then also what I've noticed is it can be seen as undermining authority or not being a team player. Like your boss tells you to do something and you question it. It's like, well, why are you questioning my authority? Just do it. But for the questioner, it's so natural to want to
2: know why they are doing something.
1: Right. So, Chrissy, what 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 if this rings true for you or not? How's this played out in your life?
2: I think it. I think it all rings true. I think uh, it's probably part of the reason why I'm self-employed. Yeah, <laughs> and work for myself <laughs> is that I get to do all of my own research and then make all of my own decisions. So you live with your decisions much more easily because you've gone through the whole process of figuring out what you think is right and wrong, and then you can just affect it.
1: Right. You don't have to go through the extra layer of coming to grips with the decision someone else has made.
2: Exactly. Exactly. Uh, the downside of it is that you're responsible for every decision that you make. And if you're endlessly questioning and trying to get research, sometimes you need a hard stop and something to sort of push back on the process that you tend to engage in. So you can kind of go down those rabbit holes, I think, sort of more than is actually useful Right. Um, before you finally reach a decision point. So.
1: Now being married to a questioner do you what how does that work because it's it's interesting that in my observation it's pretty rare for two tendencies to be married
2: yeah actually i mean when it comes down to making decisions especially big decisions that are complex like Trying to make renovations on our apartment, for example, you know, trying to sort of decide where to focus. Like, if you're going to do one project, like, what project is it? You get into a lot of the sort of endless process and questions and research trying to figure out where to focus. And at some point, someone just needs to make the call um, and do something. Um, we have this running story in our family where we needed to replace our dishwasher. And every time we would go to replace the dishwasher, (laughs) like next thing you know, we're standing out in the yard deciding to put a second floor on the roof because (laughs) it seemed like you couldn't do one thing without actually taking into consideration all the implications like forever and ever and ever. Ah. And so for a good three or four years we lived with a non-functioning dishwasher Ah. because we just couldn't make the decision about what to do and let alone decide what dishwasher to actually install. And finally, I just decided that some dishwasher is better than no dishwasher. And we just did it knowing that actually you know, we may end up having to replace it when we finally renovate our kitchen, which we did four years later. So, um, So there's things like that that get really complicated because no one is just capable of just making the call. Um, quickly. And so you (laughs) over-deliberate decisions. Um, But actually having both of us pushing back means at some point one of us wears down and you do just like make the call. Um, And then you're prepared to live with the the outcome. Usually it's me that ends up just making the call.
0: And Christy, I'm dying to know, so working on Gretchen's book with her, has it changed how you operate? In other words, do you sometimes set limits for yourself in terms of research now that you know you're a
2: questioner and you see these um, patterns? I don't know that I've changed my research like, proclivities because I, I, so, it's so ingrained in who I am that I can't get away. I have to think about things from all angles before I can come to like a comfortable decision about what to do. But, but there are things where just understanding yourself better and sort of why you're going through the process actually has allowed me to, I guess at some limits, um, It certainly helped me understand my husband better so i would say it's helped me sort of manage him better um and recognize the patterns that we get into so that we can change it and there were things like you know i realized that you know in going to the gym there was a trainer that i needed and i would talk to him the whole time because i wanted to understand why he was sort of driving me to do certain things like i hate aerobic activity and he was always pushing Mm. me to do aerobic activity and i resisted it and i dreaded it each time until Finally, I felt satisfied that I understood why it was necessary to get, to make the other parts of the workout useful. Um, and then I just let it go and I just went into it and I stopped fighting it and then just did it.
1: But see, that's a perfect example of questioner, which is like they can do anything, but they have to understand why. And so if you're dealing with a questioner or you're dealing with yourself as a questioner, it's super important that that foundation is laid of rational efficiency. Like, why are we doing this at all? Because if that's missing, they just won't do it. And so you have to always go to them on the reasons. But so here's something that was interesting that I remember from when we were editing the book. One of the things that's very striking about questioners is they are the ones who say, "I question the validity of this four tendencies framework," <laughs> <laughs> and that's. And of course, it's part of it is they're questioners. But I also feel like questioners. They feel like everybody should be a questioner. Like everybody is a questioner to a more or less successful degree. They, but upholders, obligers, and rebels recognize their category more. We, once you say it, they're, you're like, oh yeah. Like when I, like rebels know they're rebels. Obligers know they're obligers. Upholders know they're upholders. But questioners are like, eh, I don't know. Isn't, isn't why? Why would anybody be any different? And I remember at the beginning, you were kind of like. Okay, well, I sort of get the framework. It took you a while to kind of warm up to it.
2: Yeah, I think that that's true. I think that's true. I think because the idea of just getting more information and sort of pushing on things (laughs) and trying to get to the bottom of something Mm -hmm. to really understand it is just so ingrained. It's so obvious. You you don't take anything at face value. (laughs) Everything has to have sort of a rationale or reasoning behind it. So you have to kind of get down to the point that you're finally persuaded, and then you're there and you're fine. Um, But it is true. You do go into things sort of, I don't know if it's skeptically, but certainly um, with a lot of questions. Well, and I think it's true that nobody wants to do something
1: arbitrary. Nobody wants to do something that's totally inefficient. So in a way, everybody has a questioner aspect to them, but I think for, for actual questioners, that impulse is predominant, like that's their first instinctual thing. It, it really does outweigh, it, it's, it's, it's much more active in them than it is in the other, the other three tendencies.
0: And I really think no for questioners, having people around them know their questioners is a life changer because it totally um, deflates the sort of aggravation uh, of them questioning all the time. I know someone who has a friend who she finally realized was a questioner and suddenly it's like she enjoys that friend so much more ah. because it's not. Something she takes personally when the when you know this friend is constantly asking questions. Instead, it's just like, oh, that's who she is. No biggie.
2: I think that's true, actually, because it's less of a per, like they're not challenging you personally. Right. They're yeah. just going through the process that they need to 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 get comfortable with something. I mean, with my parents, they used to say that they thought that I was going to become either a, a lawyer or a lobbyist because <laughs> I asked so many questions, but ultimately. You know, trying to get the answers and then trying to persuade people that I was correct. Um. So, so yeah. I mean, my parents were very surprised that I didn't end up going into law because I always it was a constant, steady stream of questions of like, um, where they felt interrogated by me. Right. They right. thought I would be like a, a like a prosecutor. <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, so Christy, something that you
1: said before um exactly brings up the striking pattern of questioners that um that I think we should focus on, which is that. Questioners often will say that a downside of being a questioner is sort of analysis paralysis, that they want so much information that it can get in the way of making decisions or other people get lose patience because they want more information. They want perfect information in a world where often you don't get to have perfect information before you have to act. And it sounds like you've grappled with that, but you've found coping mechanisms to put boundaries on your questioning nature so that you can be productive and move forward. So like, what are some of the strategies that you might have tried to to deal with
2: that, with analysis paralysis? I think the Biggest one and the most important one that I've that I've come up with for myself, and you've probably heard me say this uh, <laughs> many times, is I always ask to what end. Yes. So when I'm constantly doing research, or we're contemplating trying something new, or bringing someone, you know, on board, or whatever it is, sort of work related, um, or even actually at home. You know, when I start feeling myself going down those rabbit holes of questioning and sort of needing that insatiable need for more information, um, I start pushing back against myself saying, to what end do I need this information? And it helps me to understand whether the information is actually relevant for what we're trying to decide. And it puts some pressure on going too far down into those questions. So I ask myself, to what end am I doing this? Um, To make sure that I'm keeping my my real objective in mind, that it doesn't just become information for information's sake.
1: Well, and I think this is a good example of why an upholder is very well uh, it's very helpful for an upholder to be around a questioner because my thing is like, yes, I can do it. I should do it. Okay. If you're telling me to do it, I'll do it. And you're like, why are you doing that? And then that's very helpful for me. Yeah. You know, many times you've kept me, you have saved me from doing things that ultimately wouldn't have been a good use of my time or energy. Cause you're like, wait a minute. Like, why are you doing that? And then the minute you say that, I'm like, Whoa. I don't know. Why am I doing that?
0: <laughs> yeah, Gretchen, I've noticed you kind of surround yourself with questioners. So I wonder if it's some sort of, uh, you know, survival instinct. In
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. I bet it is. No, that's a very... I bet it is. Yeah. And how about... And what about... Um, and it's interesting what you said with Sam, like one of you sort of will will kind of have the light bulb, like, man, we need to just act now. Are there triggers that you use? Like, do you say to yourself, like, do you ever say, like, okay, we're going to spend so much time on a, on a dishwasher but no more than this? Like, are there other ways that you find to put boundaries on on decisions? Or, like, say to yourself, I'm not going to interview 10 people. I'm only going to interview three people. Or, or are, there, are there kind of safeguards that you use?
2: I think because my husband is a journalist, because Sam's a journalist, yeah. um, he's used to working on deadlines. So actually oh. establishing deadlines are something that's been really useful for both of us. At some point, the paper has to go to the printer. And so for us, actually having like clear deadlines for making decisions stops us in our tracks. So your questions start galvanizing around a specific point in time uh. where instead of having it be process oriented or setting the number of questions that you're going to ask... It really is just like okay by this time we need to have made a decision right and at that point you know you start you become much more efficient in the questions that you're asking or the information that you're trying to get to focus on what's really important because you know you're just you're going to live by that deadline and you just have to make the call at some point
0: how often do you find yourself regretting decisions you've made or once they're made you don't think about it again
2: no once i make the decision i'm very i'm comfortable with it as long as i've you know, felt like I went through the process that I needed to, to get to that point. And usually if there is a deadline around what we're doing, whether it's vacation or it's something to do with our kids, I've managed to get in enough information to feel comfortable because I've known that there's a cutoff point at some point. And I don't often have regrets about decisions that I've made. I think he probably does more than I do mm. because I think he would go just much, much further into it than I would, <laughs> unfettered. Um, but uh, but for myself, I'm, I'm usually pretty confident that, you know, I've made the best decision I could with whatever information was available to me at that point.
1: So, so here's a qu- question for your questioner because you're the representative of questioners okay. here. Do you ever feel like you're surprised by what other people are willing to do without questioning it?
2: Yeah, I do. I think in the in a, you know, whenever you look at things like politics or sort of like societal things when it looks like people are just sort of blindly following something without having much information at their, that they have strongly held opinions about things that they've not actually Uh looked into, Um, it (laughs) makes me, I get very frustrated as a reader or I just now I don't read comments on things I just try to avoid because I find it too, people who aren't willing to actually go through and examine things closely make me, get me frustrated. But I have to say I get more frustrated by rebels. Um, Ooh. than I do by upholders. Although maybe it's a cross between obligers. I don't understand blindly agreeing to do something without thinking it through or doing it entirely in the service of somebody else without kind of really thinking it through. So I guess the short answer is yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um. Okay. But so before we let you go back to your important work, work as a book agent, um, okay. critical. Um. Do you have a Try This at
2: Home? We ask everybody who comes onto the show if they have a Try This at Home. I do. I do. And it's uh, well-timed because it's something that I've been thinking about a lot this week in particular. So my Try This at Home is to do something or say yes to something that makes you nervous or uncomfortable. Ooh. Ooh, That's a good one. And the reason for this is that, you know, I often find myself saying no to something that... I give, that I get anxious about, like whether it's going to a party or going, usually for me it's some sort of social engagement where I feel a lot of performance pressure. Ah. I eloped. Um, I just couldn't <laughs> oh. handle the pressure of, mm. of having like that, Um, that kind of social pressure so and then a lot of times and Sam is exactly the same way we both tend to say no to everything because (laughs) Um, so I've been trying to get much better actually about saying yes to things knowing that I'm gonna stress all the way up to the moment then I usually have a really good time and get a lot out of the experience and once I'm in the room I'm totally fine so my try this at home is to say yes to something that makes you anxious or uncomfortable and just try to get past the anxiety and then see how it goes
0: It's also, Gretchen, your um, thing from the Happiness Project of living in an atmosphere of growth. You know, it's like if you're not challenging yourself, you're really not
1: growing. Right. And you have that such a feeling of satisfaction in yourself if you're like, I wasn't looking forward to that, but I knew it would be worth it. So I did it and now I feel great. And
2: Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, a lot of times, uh, you know, I, I try, I'm trying to question why I'm saying no to something. Oh,
1: interesting. See, so I will just say questioner. no because
2: it makes me nervous. But then I'm sitting in that place of like, why did I say no? I should have done that. Why didn't I do this? And then, and then, you know, and then I have regret about having just like not really thought it through before saying no. Ah. So I'm trying to get better about saying yes to things that make me nervous or that I'm afraid of doing. Um, Because I know usually when I push myself and I do it, I get a lot out of it. But that's an interesting example of
1: how you can harness your questioner nature to say, "I'm going to question my own motives and saying no." Exactly. And when I have the data that I should say yes, then it will be much easier for me to follow through. So you're using that's my to
2: what end? Yes. What end? Why am I Mm -hmm. saying no? And to what end am I doing this? And uh, and usually there is a payoff to it, and I'm really glad because you're doing something different and taking yourself out of your comfort zone. Well, we're very happy that you are here today doing something new um,
1: and talking to us about, you know, the questioner perspective. Um, So thank you so much for coming by the studio.
2: Thanks, Christy. Thank you so much for having me. It's so fun.
1: Now it's time for a listener question. If you want to leave us a question uh, by voicemail, call us at 774-277-9336. That's 77 seven, happy 336
0: Gretch, this week's question comes from Amy. Amy says, As a questioner, I love to research new ideas or opportunities and will spend a lot of time questioning my own decisions even after they've been made. I would say one of my biggest challenges in life is decision paralysis and the ability to make significant progress, whether it's in planning a trip or searching for a new job, rather than spending all my time doing more research, thinking about it again, weighing the options, that sort of thing. All of which I absolutely love to do, but it drives my husband crazy when he just wants to move forward with a decision. He's an upholder, clearly." I would love to hear you talk a little bit about how to overcome decision paralysis and general lack of satisfaction as a questioner.
1: Well, we were just talking about this with Chrissy. It's very apt because she was talking about how she had to put limits on her decision making, because it is true that for questioners, that love of research and that that insatiable desire for information can sometimes get in the way of moving forward.
0: Um, Yeah. You know, what's funny, Gretch, is Chrissy mentioned she eloped. And I couldn't help but think maybe part of the reason for that was because of the number of decisions oh required in planning a wedding.
1: Yes. You can just have your mom make all the decisions. which That's is what, what I did. That's what I did. Though <laughs> <laughs> so she would dispute that, by the way. But um, yes. Uh, yeah. No, one of it is like, and I think that's a really good thing to do is sometimes um, in terms of putting limits on questioning, um, is sometimes what you can do is you can delegate to someone else and to say, "I, you're an authority and so I'm going to you to make the decisions and I'm going to accept that your decisions are going to be satisfactory. So that's a way to get yourself out of all of the labor that's involved in making decisions and doing that research if it's becoming overly consuming. Or you can copy someone else. Um, Now, I'm I'm not a questioner, but a lot of times I'll do things with like, say something like summer camp. Um, I'll be like, well, here's a person whose judgment I really respect, who has a child that's who's sort of like my child. And they love this summer camp. So I'm like, well, if it's good enough for them, it's probably good enough for me. And I do cursory research, but I don't like go deep, 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 deep into it because I'm kind of like, well, just I just copy someone whose authority and judgment I respect.
0: I definitely do the same thing. Now, she's saying, Amy says she regrets decisions even after she's made them, whereas Christy was saying that once she's made a decision, she's generally comfortable that she's made the best decision she can with the information she had. What do you do when you are a questioner? And even after you've made a decision, you're still questioning it?
1: Well, that's interesting. Um, and I would be curious to talk to a lot of questioners and push back, push on that issue. Like, how is it um, like, if you feel like you at what point do you feel like you're confident and comfortable with your decision and uh, and can look back on it with satisfaction? because that might be related related to the maximizer satisficer issue that we talked about, you know, maximizing wow. wanting to make the optimal decision and not a good enough decision. So that might be something to think about. It's like, For a lot of research, a lot of decisions, you don't have to make the perfect decision. You just need to make a good enough decision. Like Christy talking about the dishwasher. You don't have to make the absolutely 100% best decision about a dishwasher. You just at a certain point need to like, any dishwasher is better than no dishwasher. And remember, you don't have to make perfect decisions all the time.
0: Yeah, maybe Amy needs to have some sort of priority system for decisions. So if she's like questioning... Um, you know, the pair of black pants she bought, she should just say that's not a high priority. so I've got to just give this up. If she's questioning her career choice, you know, that's worthy of of, of pondering more.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I think Christine mentioned using deadlines. Um, that can be very helpful, um, limits like, oh, I'm going to do, I'm going to look at 10 sites, but not 20 sites when I'm researching which digital camera to buy or something like that, you know, putting boundaries on it.
0: Yeah. And I think in Amy's case, if it's, you know, if there are issues that she trusts her husband's judgment about, she should just hand the decisions over to him and really never think about it again. And the key to that is to not question his decision (laughs) once he's made it, of course.
1: (laughs) Yes. Yes. That would be the key thing.
0: Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to Quince.com slash Gretchen for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash Gretchen to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash Gretchen.
1: Okay, demerits and gold stars. Elizabeth, you're up with a demerit. What's your demerit?
0: Oh, I have a bad one this week, Gretch. Uh.
1: Ah um not exercising
0: now i'm still doing my inform fitness i want to be clear about that well that's
1: huge i mean okay that's huge that's high intensity strength training that's that is huge yeah. but
0: i really need to do aerobic activity i really need to do the treadmill i mean i would say hike but there's no way i'm hiking right now um i just Even my treadmill desk, I haven't been able to use as much just because of the nature of what we've been doing at work. I haven't been in my actual office where the treadmill desk is. So usually when I'm working an office job, I have that to fall back on, but I haven't been able to do it as much. And I just haven't been doing the treadmill at home at night the way I was doing for a good two years I was doing the treadmill at night several times
1: a week. So what do you think, What what's happened now that's, so you said at work, like the nature of the work that you're doing means like, I guess that you're in the writer's room. You're not at your desk doing your stuff. And so that's sort of out of your control because it has to do with right. the, the kind of the ebb and flow of the nature of writing a television show. Right. So that will change. And your habit of using the treadmill desk is still there. When you're at your desk, you're still on the treadmill, right?
0: Uh, yeah, most of the time. But not. But the less you do it, the less you want to
1: do it. That's the other thing. Ooh, and like so many things in life. Yeah, like your legs are less strong, so they get tired. You know. And then, why do you think? What's you said for two years you've been doing the treadmill at night, and now you're not. So what's what's changed that's breaking that? You had a good habit going. What's what's making that hard to do?
0: I'm not sure. I think um, I think part of it is that I had this perception when Jack was younger that he slept really deeply and the treadmill is right next to his room and I have to turn up the TV really loud to hear it over the treadmill. Uh So I have this fear of weight. Now I feel that he sleeps less deeply. So I'm worried about waking him up, but I don't know if that's just a justification and I just don't feel like doing it or what's going on, Mm. but I feel so much better as we all do. Of course, when we exercise and in my case, because of my, diabetes, it makes a huge difference, not only in how easy it is to maintain good blood sugar, but also gaining weight. Because, you know, there's a whole chemistry with insulin and insulin resistance that I won't even go into. But the exercise is even more important for me than it is for other people.
1: Wait, okay, so here I go into my, hap- my habits cheerleading mode. So you're invoking the concern for others loophole. I have concern ah. for others. And so that's why I feel like I'm justified in not breaking this one up. So I'm going to push back on one thing. So has Jack actually been affected that you know of? Or is this like a potential? This is all in my mind. Okay. So we don't know that he, maybe he's sleeping incredibly deeply because he's at kindergarten for the first time and his mind is being blown. So he's sleeping uh-huh. incredibly deeply. So I think you can say, you don't, you can just safely assume that he's sleeping as deeply as he ever has. And then also, could you watch television with earphones, or watch it on your phone or an iPad or something, so you could use earphones if you can't plug it into your TV set?
0: Um, maybe I could watch on an iPad. Yeah. I hadn't thought of that. Um, I can look into that. I can ask Adam to okay. look into that. He's for very techy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So. Okay, I'll do that, and I um. I've got to get this going because it's it's really making me, you know, unhappy.
1: So if you so when you have when you're thinking about the treadmill and you're thinking and these reasons, these these hesitations are coming into your mind, just try to analyze them and say, okay so is that true? And if it is true, what can I do about it? You know, so easier said than done. Good advice.
0: (laughs) Good cheerleading. Um. Okay, now time for a gold star. What's your gold star?
1: So, you know, I often give gold stars to people who have said the right thing because for me, I get so much satisfaction when somebody has just like the right words to say. And this was something that my husband, Jamie, I've noticed Jamie has lots of these because he really is good at knowing the right thing to say. And um, this was, I'm not going to get into all the details, but let, let, let's just say it's one of those situations where there was a group email and somebody, uh. instead of hitting, like, carefully, you know, picking and choosing who would get the, the, the forward uh, of the snarky comment that followed on the email that went out to a big group, he hit reply all. Ooh. So, he, you know, snarky comment goes right back to the people who, in, who inspired the snarky comment and they saw it and were annoyed. And so so he apologized and everything. So then he sent an email to Jamie and me saying, man, you know, this happened and, you know, I feel so bad about it and I apologize, but nevertheless, like, it was a dumb, bad mistake and I feel, I feel rotten about it and so I just wanted to apologize to you. And, you know, I saw this and I was like, oh, my gosh, this is like the worst thing, you know, because it's an upholder, of course, that's so like makes right. me feel cr- terrible. And I felt so bad for the guy. And, um, and I totally understood what he meant, too. Um, so I sort of understood everybody's thinking. And I was thinking, well, what am I going to say? What am I going to say? And I was like, you know, had all those like half realized thoughts, drafts in my head of what I was going to say. And then I see that e- Jamie sent an email, one line, no punctuation. We've all done it.
0: Ah, oh, it's good.
1: We've all done it, and and now like so in so many situations, that's the perfect thing to say. Like somebody's like, "Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry I missed the conference call." Like I was thinking that we were on Pacific time, but actually I know you're on Eastern time. And we've all done it, uh, you know. Or oh my god, it's almost a mantra. It's a mantra. It's like we've all done it, and it's comforting to people. And the thing about what I realized about when you say the right thing, it's comforting because it's true it's not like if you say things that aren't true like oh nobody cares or oh they'll forget about it you don't know that's true it's barely like it's not true
2: right. and so it's
1: not comforting but we've all done it it's like we've all done it we understand we've all done it it's a mistake we've all made or you know and and it's just comforting because you're like you feel completely understood and it just allows you to move on and I and it, it's also very nice I think when you have these things to say you know what to say to somebody else that's comforting and so now when somebody has something like that I'm like We've all done it. And they're like, yeah, okay. It's just, it's just great. So anyway, gold star for Jamie for yeah, giving me the Yeah, that's a right
0: good one. I'm gonna, I'm putting that in my arsenal for sure. <laughs>
1: Excellent. And that's it for this episode of Happier. Remember to try this at home. Figure out the tendencies of some key people around you and try using that knowledge to communicate better. Let us know if you tried it, what you tried, what worked for you.
0: Thanks to our producer, Henry Malofsky. Also, thanks to Laura Mayer and Andy Bowers of Panoply. Special thanks to uh, Gretchen's book agent and mine, Christy <laughs> Fletcher, questioner extraordinaire. Gretchen's on Twitter at Gretchen Rubin, and I'm at Elizabeth Craft. Our email address is podcast at gretchenrubin.com.
1: And if you like the show, please be sure to tell a friend and subscribe to us on iTunes. And if you're questioning, hey, Gretchen and Elizabeth, why should I tell a friend? Well, the reason is, is if you tell a friend, it helps other people find good podcasts. And if you say, well, why should I write a review? Well, that'll help other potential listeners find the show. And if you think, why should I subscribe? Well, if you subscribe, it will make it a lot easier to listen to the show. So those are some good reasons to do it. Now, if you want to go more deeply into the, uh, into the tendencies, if you're curious, you want to read more, you want to learn more, um, I'm working on a handbook of the Four Tendencies. I'm not sure exactly when it's going to be done. Christy and I are talking about it. Um, but if you want to be notified when the book is, becomes available, just text me at 66866 and enter the word tendencies. And that's the plural, C-I-E-S, tendencies when you're prompted, and then you'll go onto a list where I can email you once the book um, is ready.
0: Until next week, I'm Elizabeth Kraft.
1: And I'm Gretchen Rubin. Thanks for joining us. Onward and upward.
0: If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know.